Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of Talking Sense. This is a three-part podcast on pricing strategies with Brett Davidson of FP Advance and was recorded as part of our development program as a workshop for our Sense advisors. Brett gives an overview of the options for charging models for an advisory firm and looks at model development as part of your overall proposition. You can find the first webinar in full for free on our website along with other proposition-related learning material. And if you're interested in learning more about how Sense can help support your advisory business, go to sense-network.co.uk. For now, though, on with the podcast. Hey, thanks, and uh, and look, thanks for thanks for uh, join, joining me again today. If you were here yesterday, uh, you're gluttons for punishment. So let's uh, let's get into the third instalment. And uh, yeah, absolutely, we're going to be diving into how you create uh, the right pricing strategy for your business. So I'm going to just walk you through that step by step. Uh, as best I can. Uh, you're still going to have to do some think work, but uh, this this should be a, a great way to just uh, give you some guidance on on what you need to be thinking about specifically uh, to get to an answer that you're happy with at the end of that work. So uh, let's dive in. So what have we learned so far from our from our first sessions yesterday? Just a really really quick uh, recap on those. You know, the, the first thing we looked at was your four P's that that marketers talk about. You know, um, uh, getting those to line up uh, is the key. So your product, your price, your position, and your placement. And this is a pretty high level tool, right? You don't do this and then it gives you all the answers. But this is the sort of thing I'd probably run the ruler over every six or 12 months, like definitely once a year, would be thinking about, you know, what is our product? What are we selling? Has that changed at all? You know, where's our pricing? Are we cheap? Are we mid-range? Are we premium? Where are we? Where do we want to be? Um, how have we positioned ourselves by default or deliberately, depending on how you're doing that? And, and placement, how and where are people accessing buying our service? So it's just worth thinking about those things. Hopefully you did a bit of that yesterday uh, and maybe overnight. Um, all your arrows need to line up. So we did this exercise where we looked at, um, you know, product, price, market and service and said, you know, uh, just running a line through what we think your clients might say, you know, are you better than the average advisor for each of these things? Are you about the same as the average advisor or are you worse than the average advisor, you know, for these four areas of your business? So product, which is what you sell, your pricing. Uh, the market, who you sell it to, and the service being the ongoing service you provide to clients. You know, what is, is that better, worse, or about the same? And, and as we said, um, it doesn't matter which one you are, but they've all got to be the same. And so it gave us some things to think about if perhaps we've got, you know, three upward arrows and a dash, um, you know, maybe that's something that we work on. Is that your pricing? Is it the people you're selling to? Uh, or is it your, your ongoing service? So again, just really a useful exercise to get us in the right space and think about, remember, everything hangs together before we get to the pricing. And then you need to be clear on where the big value added uh, is, is generated in your sales process. And so remember, we just looked at these major steps and, and I gave them some scores and asked you to think about some scores. And again, you might have slightly different scores to me. But, but this is where I think the big value is. It's at the first meeting, uh, which typically we're doing for free. Um, when we then um, prepare and present the recommendations, right? We, we, we score highly there, assuming it's gone well. 
and also the ongoing review uh, meetings and ongoing review service is something clients really, really value, right? That's true all over the world from all the data I've seen. So when we're thinking about pricing, we're going to have to be thinking about you know what we charge and 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 at what points in that journey, and we're going to get into that uh, specifically today. Okay, uh, remember too, uh, if you weren't here yesterday, I'll just put this up. Uh, we've got a great freebie for you called uh, the Ultimate Guide to Pricing. If anyone's downloaded that, uh, hopefully you've had a look and think, yeah, this is this is what as advertised. Um, but it covers off a lot of the stuff we're talking about in these webinars, but it also covers two things that we haven't dealt with today. Um, one is about uh, dealing with clients who want to negotiate with you. Uh, we've got some strategies around that. And it also talks about um, how do you have that conversation to increase your prices if off the back of this work you decide that I'm going to put my prices up, uh, which lots of people probably will, hopefully will do. Um, so yeah, download that now. You can see the link, fpadvance.com forward slash sense forward slash ultimate dash pricing. Um, grab your phone and take a picture of it. Uh, if you want, uh, that's an easiest way so you don't uh, miss, mistype it or miswrite it down. I will put this up later on as well, so so don't panic if you haven't quite got that yet. There'll be another slide for this later. Okay, what I want to focus on today, having done a lot of this thinking work, I want to guide you through here's how you take action on your pricing. So again, hopefully you've got a pen and paper to hand because uh, I want you to be thinking about your situation as as I guide you through this process today. So step one is you have to identify your target market or markets. Who do you serve? Who do you work with? And like I said yesterday, um, this is not about um, looking at your whole client base, getting confused and going, well, crikey, man, I work with everyone. Look at them, right? It's a hodgepodge of people that I've collected over 20 years. That's not what we're about. Now that you're 20 years in, if you're one of those people, um, What's the top end of your client bank look like? Typically, your top five clients, your top five or 10% of your clients will tell you who you really work with. And if we were going to say, look, let's do this for another five or 10 years, they're the people we'd be targeting. They're your target market. And I think you've got to get your pricing right for the people that you want to attract, not, not all these other people that you might have. And you, you will retain a lot of those people, but we're not looking for more of those. So I want you to think about who do you serve? You know, who do you really work with? Also, when you're thinking about your pricing, here's, here's another guide. I'd be looking for the target market or markets that generate a big chunk of my income, maybe 50 or 60%. And what you'll find is there's probably only one or two target segments that generate that revenue in your business. If you have a dig into your data, I'm guessing for many of you, the at or in retirement market might be that segment. Uh, or it's certainly going to be one of those segments. Okay, so that, that could be an issue. There might be a second. Okay, so let me talk you through. Now, what I'm going to do today, I'm going to pretend I'm doing this exercise for my old business in Australia. And this is the segmentation work we'd done in that business uh, many moons ago. This, this, this is straight out of our Uncover Your Business Potential online course, where we take you through the segmentation stuff. But this reflects my old business. So we, we, we classified people into A, B, and C, and A clients are the top 5% of your client base. So if you've got 100 clients, we're only talking about the top five people, okay? If you've got 200 clients, it's the top 10, you get the gist. Uh, B clients are the next 20% of your client base. So again, if I've got 100 clients, that's the next 20. 
And A's and B's will be but just the top 25 clients in your client bank. And C's are the rest, but above a certain minimum threshold, okay? So uh, we've then got, in our in, in, across the top, I've split clients into low involvement clients. These are people who are, uh, as Tim Hale describes them, prudent delegators. So prudent, as in they're not just gonna come and say, mate, you tell me what to do, but once they get to know you and understand, Basically, they're going to say, mate, just tell me what to do. And that's most clients we probably work with, prudent delegators, low involvement. They want to have fun, go sailing, play golf, uh, and just come and see you once a year and make sure everything's cool. The second group we had in my old business, now you may not have these, these across the top segments, was involved in direct. And these were all men uh, and all business owners or ex-business owners. Okay, And they were the control freak people uh, who just wanted to feel like they were in control of their money often did a bit of direct investing on the side, and we worked happily with those types of clients. The third group was uh, sophisticated. Now, we only had three of these people in a client bank of 250 when I left, um, and they were our super high net worth. They bring us up and ask us questions we didn't know the answer to, right? And so we were a very strong technical practice. We liked working with those people. Um, you might not have any of those people. Some advisors hate to work with people like that. I get it. But that's just a quick explanation of our segmentation so you know what I'm looking at. And we've got like a, a, an outline of sort of the service standard uh, for each of those people, what we did for them. So I'm sitting here thinking about my business. Now you wanna be sitting there thinking about your business. What do your clients look like? If you haven't done the detailed segmentation work yet, that's fine. Just, just you'll have an idea. Think of your top clients and then think of the bulk of your clients. What do they look like? What services do you provide? So what I'm realizing when I look at my segmentation, the A clients here and, and all three groups of them are really people who are in the at or in retirement market. Retirement planning is, is really what most financial planners spend most of their time doing and that was true for us. So that group of people, uh, the A's, you know, they generated a, a bucket load of revenue for us. Okay, so that's one group I'm gonna focus on, the at or in retirement market when I think about my pricing in a minute. That's one group. Okay, the second group though that's interesting for me in my old business, so the B2s were a bunch of younger executives. Now, this is, I've been here 17 years, so if I go back 20 years, uh, you know, I was mid-30s and these were my friends. Uh, some of them were, you know, starting to hit senior management levels in the organisations they worked with. We probably had a dozen of these people only at that point in time. Uh, and we took these people on because they were not only earning high incomes at that stage, but they were also starting to move into senior positions. But there was a third criteria. So that wasn't enough to get you in as one of those people because retirement planning is still too profitable. But the third category was we met them and we sat across the table and for some reason we just got the strong vibe these people were going all the way, right? They had the X factor. You sit across the table and think, mate, you're gonna be the next chief exec of that organization you're working in, even though you're only 35, but you're a superstar on the rise. So we had a bunch of these people who, um, although not a massive source of revenue here, we, we thought they were a big deal for the future. So I had to come up with a different pricing strategy for that group because I don't think the pricing strategy for the at-retirement market is gonna work. So what two groups are you thinking about in your client bank 
when we start to do this exercise today. I'm guessing at retirement, people in retirement, people, people approaching retirement, that final few years, uh, that's a group. But is there any other groups, younger clients, up and coming business owners, entrepreneurs, executives, you know, what is it for you? So I'm gonna look at those two groups only for this reason. If I can get the pricing strategies right for these two main groups that I'm interested in and that generate most of my revenue, I just know, and it'll be the same for you, that the other groups I'm ignoring here probably will slot into one of those two pricing strategies. That may not be true every single time, but I'm thinking for 99% for of the time, that's how it's gonna pan out. This is not that complicated once you've got it down on paper. Okay, so focus on those two key groups. So the next step is then think about pricing for each value stage like we looked at yesterday. So our first value stage, we said we're gonna do the first meeting for free even though it's high value. So we're gonna try and give something first, get people engaged with what we're doing. The first bit we're gonna charge for is the next step where we collect the data, do the analysis and come back and present the recommendations to you. That's the first place I'm gonna charge. I'm gonna charge a planning fee for that. Uh, I'm then gonna charge something for implementation and then gonna charge something for ongoing review. Now, in my model, I'm not going to demand at the first meeting that people have to do all three. Okay, now, you know and I know, I want people to do all three. It's the ongoing revenue actually that builds my business and it's the bit I'm interested in. If I was just doing tons of plans, and not picking up clients, I'm, I'm not sure that would really work for me as, as a business. I could do some of that. Yeah, maybe I'm, I'm, it's a sprat to catch a mackerel and I'll pick them up three years later, I get it. But I don't want that to be the, the most of the work I do, it's too transactional. So I want people to become ongoing clients, but I'm not gonna demand it. I'm gonna let them discover for themselves at each step of the process that it's probably worth going to the next step because we've added value to their thinking uh, and done something that's, that, that they perceive is gonna help them in the future. Does that make sense? So, so I wanna make it safe for people, and that's why I'm gonna charge a little bit at each of these, these steps on the journey. I'm sorry, and what I do know, even though I'm not demanding that they, they sign up to all three, um, I know for a fact that if I get each of these phases right, that 90% of people are gonna end up being ongoing clients, I think you know, or if it's 80% or whatever, it's a high percentage, okay? So I'm cool with that. Okay, when I, when I think about then my old business, now I've just, I've translated this into, into, into pounds and it's, it's from memory, so don't hold me to this, but um, we might say that, look, my minimum client that I'll accept now, because remember, I'm talking about a mature business. If you're a new business, maybe your minimums are not this high, but I'm gonna say that, look, we're not taking anyone really anymore between uh, who has less than 250,000 of assets to invest, uh, in my mind, or can pay two and a half thousand a year because 1% of that, which is what I'm gonna end up charging, uh, is two and a half grand a year. I'm not gonna take clients below that level, okay? But the, the truth is, um, the target clients that I want more of is not people with 250, it's people with 500 plus. Now, when I think about my old business, most of the clients that we're trying to attract will have between sort of half a million and two million of investable assets, okay? Um, and the truth is, that's gonna be like, a, I don't know, a bit of a pyramid. Like, it's not as if 
two million pound clients are walking in every day of the week. Like we might pick up uh, one of those every two years. Uh, we might pick up most clients who've got between sort of 500, 600, 800,000 of assets. That's our sweet spot, it's easy work. They're appreciative, we can add a lot of value. Uh, every so often we get a million or a million and a half pound client. And like I said, once in a blue moon, we'll get a two million pound client. Now, it's not out of the bounds of possibility that someone rings me up and says, I've got three and a half million. I go, oh, happy days, I've never done that before. Great, I'll worry about that when it happens. I'm just gonna price for what I spend 90% of my time doing, which is trying to work with these types of people, okay? So I'm thinking about that. Most clients coming in, you know, we're still, we're still in a, a model in this business because it's a mature business where we are looking for people with assets under management. Now, I know some of you might be sitting there thinking, oh man, I hate that model, I don't want to do that. That's fine. I want you to think about then what is your criteria? You know, is it income-based? Is it not income-based? Um, and, and let's be honest, if you're going to set a minimum, say it's a two grand a year minimum fee to be a client, you know, that's that's you're not going to get people earning 15,000 pounds a year coming to see you for advice. Um, you know, there's still going to be some sort of sorting or sifting that's got to happen for the types of people that you want to work with, even if you're on a flat fee model where we're not looking at the AUM uh, that, that people can bring. You know, at the end of the day, we're still talking about people with a certain level of wealth, I think, uh, for most of the models we're thinking about. Okay, so for my at retirement or in retirement segment, this is how I'm going to think about it. So. For the planning work, I'm thinking for my business, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna probably be charging between 1250 and 3,000 pounds for the planning. Now, again, I'm thinking it's going to be a pyramid. Most of my fees are probably going to be in the 1250 to 1500 range most of the time. And again, for the odd big job or more complex job, or just something where I notice in the first meeting, I'm gonna add a ton of value and I can explain that to the client quickly. Like, mate, I can put 200 grand in your pocket. Yeah, maybe I can push my planning fee a little bit further, but let's be honest, it's gonna be a lost leader, however much I charge. We do so much work in that first phase of the, the engagement. You can't charge enough for it to, to really turn it into a profit, I don't believe, okay? So, I'm cool with this. I'm thinking that's my range, and I'll just flex a little bit, job by job, at the end of my first meeting. Remember, I don't have to tell people the price for this until I've done my, my hour, hour and a half first meeting where I've asked a lot of questions, found out you know, where they're at, how bad it hurts, what brought them in today. I can start to make some judgments around that. And so I've got a little bit of flexibility in there. Is that okay? All right. My implementation fee, again, I'm a mature business and I've been doing this a long time and I'm comfortable with this. I'm gonna charge 1% of the assets I invest for people. Okay, now again, some people might hate that. You can do something different and I'll give you some alternatives in a minute. But I'm just gonna say, look, let's make it 1% of assets invested. But what I realize is, look, once we get above, you know, a million pound of investable assets, I'm gonna discount that away fairly aggressively. Okay, so I'm not gonna just charge 1% if they come in with 2 million. If they come in with 2 million, it's gonna be a lot less. It's gonna be one and a bit. Okay, so, so I'm gonna think about that. Now, again, I just made that scale up. That's not what I used to charge. Um, you could make this scale up and you might think holding a 1% of assets charged for implementation is just too much. Okay, at that stage, it's, it's 
it's a not insignificant fee only to have done something cool in the early phase you can think about that okay I'm just giving you an example maybe you discount away uh, heavier maybe you try a different approach I'll give you some some alternatives in a sec and then thirdly for ongoing service I'm absolutely going to charge 1% of AUM okay now that's the business I've been running and I've built that's why I'm making that call and for that market I still think it sort of works now if I'm going to put that to people I better know where I add value because people are going to be reading stuff in the media and talking to their mates occasionally and thinking, you know, uh, is the AUM model fair and reasonable? I, I can explain that very comfortably. I can show people where I'm going to add value. Um, and again, I'm going to say, mate, let's do the planning. And if you think some of that's too expensive after you've seen our work, mate, go and do it with someone else who's cheaper. That's fine with me. Knowing full well, that's not going to happen. Once they've seen the color of our work, uh, they're going to be happy to pay the fees. So I'm cool with that as a pricing strategy. Okay, for my younger executives, okay, I'm going to go down a different road because that pricing strategy isn't going to work for them. First of all, often they won't have lots of assets under management. Uh, and two, they're in an expensive phase of life. They've got big mortgage, probably young kids, kids going to go to private school and university and all that stuff. So although they're earning lots of money, they're paying shed loads of tax as well. Uh, and, you know, uh, they won't have a lot of disposable income no matter how much they earn. So, so I need to think about this differently. So for these younger executives or younger business owners on the way up, I'm thinking I'm probably still going to charge a planning, I'm absolutely going to charge a planning fee, but I think the pricing I had for the other group sort of works. Again, I can flex depending on what they're earning and, and how much it hurts and, and the problems we're dealing with. If it's fairly straightforward issues, they're going to be paying the minimum fee. That's what I'm going to quote. But the money these people are earning, which is going to be in the hundreds of thousands, right? They're, they're superstars on the way up. Uh, they can afford to pay me that fee. I'm cool with that. For implementation, though, I'm going to make this a no brainer and a no barrier to entry. So I might charge as little as 500 or a thousand pounds, some sort of flat fee for putting into action whatever the plan is that we come up with. Now I can do this because I know that there's not usually a load of implementation work that's very complex. Okay, it might be you know sorting out a few small existing investments they've got or, or making some recommendations about their pension fund at work, choose a different investment option or something like that. So I can I can price that pretty easily because I don't want that to be a barrier to moving through to the next phase. Okay, alternatively, I could have my charging menu of stuff. And again, for those people, now remember I told you this yesterday, I just made all this up. So do not rely on this pricing on this sheet. I'm just giving you an example that we could have a, a pricing menu. And for most of these young accumulators, they're not gonna end up running that bill up to thousands of pounds. There just won't be that much to do. Okay, so that's another way I could do this for my, for my young accumulators. And then for ongoing review, I'm just going to quote a flat fee. Now, how much should I quote as a flat fee for these younger accumulators? Now, I'm thinking here, I'm, I'm going to be looking at what are they earning and maybe I'm going to be pricing on, let's call it 1% of what they earn as gross income. So let's say we've got a husband and wife, they're both young execs on the way up and between the two of them, 
they're earning 300,000 a year. Uh, 1% of that is three grand a year, which is 250 pounds a month. Now, if I've done a plan for these people, I've implemented it and said, look, do you want ongoing advice where we can, you can ring me anytime and we can meet with you once a year and keep you on track, hold you accountable. You know, if the government moves the goalposts, we'll tell you what to do next. Um, you know, most of those people are gonna say, yeah, I'm, I'm up for that. And if I quote them uh, 250 a month and they're earning 300,000, mate, I reckon that's, that's a relatively straightforward decision for them to say yes. Now, here's the thing. That's how I'm going to price it, but I'm not going to tell them I'm charging them one percent of AUM. Uh, sorry, of income. I'm just going to tell them that the fee is two fifty a month if they want to retain us and have an annual review and get access to all the cool stuff that we do. Does that make sense? But that's how I'm going to get to the number. Okay, so maybe maybe that's something that you could have a think about as well for these clients. Maybe it's a percentage of income. You know, again. I'm going to think of 1% of their income. I'm going to look at the client that's in front of me and think, is that fair and reasonable for them? Is that fair and reasonable for us? You know, maybe there's a job with a lot of complexity in it. I'm going to bump that up a little bit. But I'm just going to come up with a monthly amount and that's what I'm going to quote to the client. Keep it really simple, really transparent. Does that make sense? Great. Okay. The third step is once you've started to work through and think, how am I going to charge at each place for these different segments that I'm working with? We need to go back, you know, put this down for a week and then pick it up in a week's time and run the ruler over what you've created and think, does this make sense? Okay. And there's three things that we want to, we want to look at. The first is, is this understandable and transparent? When I go to explain this to the client, will this, will this be very, very simple for them to get their heads around? Now, I've done a lot of consulting work with advisors where we've looked at their pricing. I'll go back for my next visit and say, mate, talk to me, what did you come up with the pricing and pitch it to me as if I'm a client. Now, I've been in the industry for 30 years and they pitch it to me and I haven't got a clue what I'm gonna end up paying. So I'm thinking the average punter's got no idea what, what they mean. Now, this is not because the advisors um, deliberately sat there and tried to make it complex. The mistake they've usually made is when they're pitching it and explaining it, they're trying to tell me about every possible variation that could come up. So we're gonna charge you this for that, but if you're this, we'll charge you that, and if you're that, and they, they go on and on, and next thing you know, my brain's exploded and I can't, can't follow what they want, what, what they're telling me. The way we want to be able to explain it to people is, Mr. and Mrs. Client, for the planning work, right? That's the initial phase of work. I'm going to be charging you 1,500 pounds for the plan. At that point, at the end of the plan, once I've presented it to you and you've asked any questions, it's completely up to you what you want to do next. You can leave and never talk to me again. You can go and implement it all yourself if that's what you want to do. It's going to have cost you 1,500 quid. If you want me to implement it, I'm going to charge you 1% of the assets you invest, or I'm going to charge you a flat fee, depending on the client I'm talking to, right? But I'm going to just say one thing, and then if you decide that you'd like to become a client, it's going to be 250 pounds a month, or it's going to be 1% of assets under management. Does that make sense? So I can get that out very quickly, very clearly, and I'm telling people, 
at the moment, you're up for that. We can discuss whether you want to do these next two phases once we've done the initial work. Does that make sense? Classic two things you have to do in marketing, make it good and make it safe. And that's the key with your pricing is you want to get that out in a way that lets people feel, I understand. I don't have to make a decision on that yet. I know I'm up for this. Yeah, let's go ahead and do that. And now we get a chance to show people the color of our work and how good it is. And we know that most of the time when people do that, they're going to move through. Okay, when we're doing our sense check, the second thing you need to look at is if I do this and people say yes, can I make a profit? Am I charging enough to make a profit on these jobs or am I going to put myself into some sort of difficulty? Now, we don't have to know this for a fact. Okay, we don't have to go and do the analysis with our abacus and our time and motion studies to work out whether this is going to work out. We just have to sit there and look at it and think it's somewhere in the ballpark. Now we can start charging on that basis. And if we get six months down the track, we've got some real life experience here and we might think, uh, I think I'm a little bit light on here. We seem to be doing a bit more work than I anticipated. I think it's costing us a bit more dough. I might need to bump these a little bit, but you can work that out on the run. You don't need to know that from minute one. But if you're looking at it and thinking, this is just way too low, okay, then I think that's something you've got to address up front and think, you know, what am I doing for the money? Could I change the way that I, that I charge in one of these places to, to make sure I get to the right amount? The third thing we've got to look at is if I charge this and I do my usual work, Will this add value to clients? Will they still be able to have a win after they've paid me the fees and done what I ask them to do? Can they have a win somewhere down the track? And if you're happy that we tick these three boxes, then that would be really good. Okay, one more thing I want you to think about. There is no 100% correct answer on this. To be honest, there's probably half a dozen ways you could do this and it's still going to work, right? This is the, the why it's sort of a little bit pointless having big debates with your peers about they say that the way they charge is the right way and you say the way you charge is the right way. You might both be right. For your respective businesses, maybe that is the right way to go because remember, part of the decision is based on how you feel about the issue, what you think. Part of the issue is going to be driven by customers. Are they happy to pay? But a lot of this is driven by what we think is fair and reasonable and the right way to do things. You know, there may well be some issues where you think, look, that is, that's wrong in my mind, but other people might see that differently. Okay. I'm not, not excusing uh, gouging behavior or poor behavior, but I, I think there's, there's quite a range of answers that could be right here. Okay, the second thing is, if you're thinking maybe I'm a bit too cheap, I'm going to say you probably are too cheap. The biggest issue for me with most financial planning advisors is that they add a bucket load of value, but they can't identify it and they can't explain it to the client. If you did a bit more work on that, you would start to realize how much value you add. You know, start looking at the tax wins you generate. If you're moving people to cheaper investment options, think of how much that's worth to people when you compound it forward 20 or 30 years, like it might double their money. 
in 20 or 30 years. That's a massive result. When you stop people selling out at the wrong time, right? And we do that, and we do that relatively easily, right? Like people ring up scared, and we go, "Mate, look, just hang in there." And and they're probably still scared, but they hang in there. And three years later, you know, they're back to where they started, or or they're growing again, and and they've had a win. Had they have sold out, they would have crystallized a big loss. And that's that's that behavioral finance piece that keeping people sticking to the plan is one of the areas we add huge amounts of value. It's hard to explain that to people, okay? Uh, because like, you know, when, when they ask uh, drivers, are you an above average or below average driver? Everyone, 80% of people say they're above average, which is statistically impossible. Uh, and that's the same. If you say to people, look, are you gonna panic and sell out at the bottom of a crash? They all deny it till they're blue in the face, but we know that some of them, some of them might do that left to their own devices. So you're probably too cheap. So don't be afraid about charging a premium and then work your ass off to make sure you deliver on that, that promise. Okay, with planning fees in particular, start where you can and move yourself through the gears. Now I've put in there 1250 to 3000. If you're a newer or younger advisor, you might be looking at that going, oh my goodness, I could never charge that much. Fine, your range might be from 300 to 700 pounds is your planning fee range, start there. Absolutely fine, okay? You don't have to start where I start. Other people are looking at it going, he's only charging three grand? Huh, I'm, I'm charging way more than that. It's fine, this is about you and your business. But here's how it goes. Let's say you decide, and maybe there's people here who've never charged for the planning work before, and that's a bit scary, but you think, look, you know what? I could probably charge a grand for that. That's not gonna scare the clients I work with off. Okay, and this for you, it could be 500 or 300, it's fine. But let's say we started a grand. So I go out and I say it the first time and I'm pretty scared the first time I ask for the money. But amazingly, the client says, yeah, yeah, and I'll pay that. And bang, we've, we've got our first planning fee. We do that five more times and the next five people all say yes. And we think, this is pretty cool. I'm up and running. You know what? I'm gonna bump that to 1250. So the next client that comes in, my planning fee's now 1250. Okay, I do that five more times. They say yes, six months later, I bump it to 1500. And again, I'm still not getting any great resistance, but I'm happy at 1500. That's way above where I started at a grand. And I run with that for another 18 months. But at the end of 18 months, I'm thinking, mate, no one's saying no. We're picking up loads of work, we're pretty busy. I'm gonna bump it to 1995. And, and this is how you move yourself through the gears on your planning fees. Okay, you just do it a few clients at a time, start at a level where you can get the words out and not, not sound like you're a nervous wreck about asking for the money. You'll still be a bit nervous on the inside, but most clients won't notice that. And ask for what you can ask for and just start there. It won't take you very long to move yourself up to the right level and you'll just find that naturally. Does that make sense? Okay, a word of warning about planning fees. Let me tell you how this usually goes. Now, if you're already charging them and you're experienced, uh, you're probably okay with this. It's the people who are thinking, yeah, man, I'm gonna get involved in this. I've, I've had the epiphany through these, these webinars. I'm gonna start charging for the planning, which I highly recommend. What we don't want is that the planning fee becomes so large that we get lots of people saying no to doing business, okay? The planning fee, is a loss leader no matter how much you charge. So don't make it so big that half the people you talk to go, oh, look, I'll have to think about it and never come back. 
Okay, it's easy for this to happen. So when I'm consulting with firms, we'll often say, look, let's start charging a planning fee and we might make it 500 quid, right? Something that's really easy and safe to get out, but we, we get in the habit of people paying. I rock up like nine months, 12 months later as part of my ongoing work. I thought we've put this to bed. We're working on other parts of the business. And they raise with me and say, Brett, we're not, we're not, we're not converting as many people as we were, you know, like a year back. And it's it's a bit of a problem. And I say, well, talk me through what are you doing? And somewhere in that conversation, they say, and and yeah, and now we're charging people like three grand for the financial plan. I'm going like, well, when when did we decide to do that? And what they'll say is, look, we've worked out that all the value really is in the planning. And I'm going, mate, I know but you can't charge people for all the value up front in there because it will scare people off. And that's exactly what happens. So don't go nuts with the planning fee. Work your way through the gears for sure, but don't go, go nuts with it, right? We're gonna clip the ticket a little bit at the planning, a little bit at the implementation, and then a little bit at the review phase. Does that make sense? We're just gonna get a bit there, get a bit there, get a bit there, and at the end of the job, we need to end up in a place where we're, where we're profitable and we're making money because we know most people are going to work through all three of those phases. Okay, it won't be everyone. That's fine. I can live with that. But most people are going to walk their way through those three phases. And as long as I'm getting paid enough at the end, I'm okay. So think about it this way, right? This is how I, I think about the pricing. Uh, my local curry restaurant. Uh, which I love. So I go to my local curry restaurant and here's here's how they charge, right? So there's poppadums and pickles, like the poppadums are like, aren't they like about a pound for, a, you know, for each one or something like that. Uh, the pickles are like 60p per person. The main that I get, okay, so my, my lamb madras is like £6.50. Then it's London prices, right? If it's more expensive or cheaper where you are, this is what it costs me. The rice, which I've got to have with the lamb madras, otherwise it's, it's no good, £3.50. £3.50 for rice? Are you serious? Right, that is highway robbery. Right, that is so much money. I'm tempted to boil my own rice and bring it in a Tupperware container to the curry restaurant and say, I'll just have the curry, thanks, and then get my rice out and plonk it on the plate and go like this, saying, I'm not paying three fifty for rice. That's highway robbery, man. It's just rice. Okay, I could buy a ton of rice myself for £3.50. Now, I don't do that, okay? It goes through my mind, but I don't do it. What I'm trying to get at is, to be honest, when I walk out of the restaurant, having had a drink, a curry, poppadums and pickles and some rice, it costs me about 15 quid. That's how much a curry costs for me. It's not about the makeup of the individual stuff, but that's sort of how they get me there to 15 quid, right? They've thought about how they're gonna price the stuff. They know I have to have the rice. They know I'm not gonna cook my own and bring in a Tupperware container, okay? And so at the end of the day, that's what it costs. And it's a bit the same for you. At the end of the job, you've just gotta get paid enough, whatever enough is for you. And again, that's gonna vary a little bit by firm, where you're located, what's your cost base, how many staff you got to feed? What sort of job are you doing, right? So you just got to get paid enough. I know uh, Paradigm Norton, 
uh, probably a contender for you know best financial planning firm in the UK, a big business now, probably generating 10 million a year of revenue. For, for the whole of their lives, they've charged three different ways. Okay, they've charged an asset-based fee, the traditional way. They've charged hourly rates because they worked with a ton of solicitors like you know, Magic Circle lawyers who insisted on paying by the hour, so they did. And then some others, they charge flat fees. Barry Horner there tells me that, you know, very, very roughly over the, their history, um, it's been like about a third, a third, a third, that that's how they've charged. So they're working on the basis, look, we're going to do a great job, but we're going to be responsive to how the client feels about charging. And they just have to get paid enough to allow them to continue to do the job. And, and you're the same. So I'm not recommending you have three different ways of charging, but I'm just saying that even very, very good firms are open to, to different ideas around this. Does that make sense? So in a logical world, right, this is how pricing would work. It'd be a massive upfront fee for the planning. Okay, I've just chucked in 15 grand because that's where all the value is added. The investment work, investing people's money, I've got to be honest, I reckon it should be like Skype, it should be free. Right? There is not much value added in doing the investment work. Get people to go and buy a Vanguard Life Strategy Fund. It'll do the job. Okay, All the BS that we go along and making investments seem like it's a big deal. Once you've been around for a long time and you get your head around it, it's really, really simple. The main value we add is getting people not to sell at the wrong time. But I'm going to do that for free. Okay, That would be logical. And then I'm going to charge a bucket load for the ongoing service because that, that work of keeping people accountable, keeping people on track, checking in with them, are they doing what they said they would do? I think that's the high value coaching work and we could charge a fortune for that at the other end. That would be logical pricing, but guess what? No one will buy that. And so I have to find other ways to charge and that's why I need to think about my pricing, clip the ticket a little bit on the way and lead people gently through the process, give a bit of value, get paid a bit of money, sort something else out, get paid a bit more, get them onto my ongoing service. And after they've been with me for three years, they get it, right? You're not losing clients, are you? You know, if we do client satisfaction surveys, to be honest, mostly they're really satisfied, right? We deliver something of value. So we don't need to be charging this way. Don't, don't, don't get caught up in all that, that I should be doing it this way because that's where the value is. Let's just find a way to blend the value idea and what the client would be willing to pay, and let's make that work painlessly and easily for people. That would be my guidance. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's pricing. I'm hoping that this, this, the three webinars have really got you thinking about this in a different way. Now, you might analyze all this and get back to what you've always been charging and just be really happy that that's the right way to charge. Alternatively, maybe this has given you some ideas for different segments, or maybe you're gonna to totally revamp your pricing. I'm cool with any of those outcomes, as long as it's coming from that place of, I've thought about it, I've checked in with myself, I've thought about, is it understandable, transparent, is it profitable for me, and can the client still ever win? And then we're good. To find out more about how Sense can help your advisory firm, go to sense-network.co.uk. Thanks for listening.